Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles and open to Micah chapter 6. Micah. It may be easier if you're not familiar with Micah to go to Matthew and take a left. Just a few verses back towards the end of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 6 this morning, we are continuing our study of our sermon series we've entitled Tension, and if you haven't been with us in a while or you're new this morning, it's a sermon series where we walk through difficult topics in our culture, difficult issues that we're struggling with, things that we're not certain about, things that we're not quite sure how we need to think and and understand, we're looking at those things from a biblical perspective. Now, I'm going to go ahead and kind of give you the next couple of weeks. Next week's going to be the final sermon in this series. And I'm not quite sure yet what it's going to be. I've got a lot of different options to choose from. I know I've, I've had a lot of uh, sheets turned in. I've preached several of those, by the way, that you've turned into me. Some that I haven't gotten to yet that I will probably do is just standalone sermons sometimes in the next few months, uh, sometime early next year, maybe. But we're going to finish up next week. The 4th is Adoption Sunday, which is a big Sunday. Then November the 11th is Unity Service. I'm going to, again, encourage you to be part of that. I'd love for some of y'all on November the 11th to be at our 8.30 service and just celebrate that idea of unity with New Macedonian and Pastor Derek Williams. Uh, And then, of course, the 18th is Thanksgiving, and boom, Christmas is here. So uh, before we know it, it's going to be the end of the year. So we're winding this series down, but today is immigration. And I've joked with several of y'all over the last uh, couple of weeks. I put this one off to the very end, uh, really, because I wasn't quite sure how I was going to approach it. From the, really the beginning of this kind of sermon series in my mind several months ago as I started praying about this and I started talking to my team a little bit about it and talking to a few other people and just kind of praying through it. Immigration was one of the topics I knew I needed to cover. But as I began to study through Scripture personally and try to understand it from a biblical perspective, I was concerned that my opinion may be a little bit different than Scripture because this is a difficult issue for us. And So, so my challenge this morning to you and, and what I'm going to encourage you to do uh, it's really just kind of think through this based on God's word. Now, I'm probably going to offend some of you. Some of you are probably going to disagree with some of the things I'm going to say. Some are going to agree. I'm going to already tell you from a couple of conversations I had after the 830 service, not everybody's going to agree with everything I say. That's okay. Because I'm going to do my best to pull it right out of God's word. So in the end, if you're mad about it, you can be mad with God and what he says, and you can take it up with him later today. But I'm going to try to present to you what I think is a biblical approach to this topic. Now, this is a hot-button issue for us. If you've been alive over the, next, over the last couple of years, you know that a lot of people are talking about this. I can't imagine how many articles have been written about this in the last years, how many books have been written about it. I would bet tens of thousands of hours of TV time and Internet time have been, been devoted to this. Just this week, we've read and seen the pictures of the caravan coming up from Honduras, right? Just for fun, how many of you have heard about that group coming from Honduras? Almost everybody. It looks like it's probably about 4,000 now, and and they're coming from a very dangerous area. I I I read a quote from one of the women in the group. Here's what she says. We've lived in neighborhoods where our children have seen disaster after disaster. We have seen dead bodies thrown in front of us. She says, so that's my goal in truth, to reach a country where life can change for my children, right? This is a big deal. This is a big issue, and there are passionate people on both sides of the issue, right? There's a whole group of very passionate people that think we should build the the biggest wall the world has ever seen. Our president campaigned on that. He ran on that. He's been talking about that for the last couple years. A lot of these midterm elections that are upcoming soon, and by the way, you ought to vote as a Christian, 
You ought to vote as a Christian. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. That's between you and the Lord. But you ought to exercise your right and vote. But a lot of the midterm elections are, are based on this issue. There are a lot of people that are talking about this wall. But then on the other side, there are a lot of people that feel very differently about that. I read a, an op-ed piece this week in USA Today. Here's a quote from it. The solution to America's immigration problems is open borders, under which the United States imposes no immigration restrictions at all. Right? So there are people that would say, not only should we not have a wall, we should just open the borders to everybody. In fact, some would argue there, there shouldn't be borders at all. And if it weren't already difficult enough with the kind of the two different sides, and it's a very politicized issue, if it weren't difficult enough, there are also people on both sides that use the Bible to support their opinions. Right, I could preach a story out of the book of Joshua. I could preach a sermon out of the book of Joshua on the walls of Jericho. You remember what happened? The Israelites walked around it for a week. The last time they walked around it a bunch of times and the walls did what? You remember? Fell down. So I could preach a sermon. We don't need any walls. Let's tear all the walls down, let everybody in. Until I got three or four books later and I got to Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? He built a wall, right? So, so there, there's compelling cases on both. There are a lot of people that fall in a lot of different categories. What's the solution, right? That's the question. As believers, where do we need to fall into this discussion? How do we need to understand it? What does the Bible actually say about it? I believe it's when we get down to it and we look at some biblical principles this morning, I think one of the things we're going to notice is we ought to find balance because it's very easy if we're not careful to fall passionately on one side and neglect the other. But I want to show you this morning some biblical principles. And I'm going to kind of give you a main verse and then a lot of supporting arguments under that. I want to build for you what I think is a biblical case really for balance. I'm going to go ahead and warn you, the first part of the sermon series is going to be easy. The second part is going to be a lot harder for you. So let's take a look at Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. We're going to do just one verse this morning. It's very simple. Many of you have read this verse. You've studied it. I would like to say to you, this is not specifically an immigration verse, okay? But it is a verse that commands believers how we ought to live in all things. And I think there's a lot of balance in this verse, and I think there's a lot of things in this verse that speak specifically to this issue. So Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we have it on the screen as well. He has told us, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Right. So here's a very specific requirement from the Lord. This idea that Christianity is passive, you don't ever have to do anything, is just not true. Here's a requirement of the Lord. To do justice, love kindness, some Bibles say mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, or kindness, and humility. Those are the kind of the three areas we're going to examine and apply those right now to the idea of immigration. So truth number one, we have it for you on the screen as well. We must have laws that are just and fair. We must have laws that are just and fair. Now, immigration is not a new idea. If you've spent any time studying American history, you understand that America was founded, unless you're a Native American, which some of you might be, unless you're Native American, you have a heritage somewhere other than America. I mean, the stories we read about the founding of our country start when somebody got on a boat somewhere else and came to America. So America really is, is founded on this idea of immigration. But it's not just an American story. It's not just a recent story. Immigration has occurred for centuries, and we even find ideas of immigration in Scripture. So I want to give you several. I've got them on the screen. You don't have to flip to them. You can jot them down and, and read them later if you want to. But I want to build a case 
in Scripture that the Lord commands people, oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, to leave their country or their land and to go to a different land for various different reasons. So, for example, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the, famines, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we understand the call in Genesis 12 is not about immigration. I'm not making that case. But I am saying to you there's a clear indication beginning in Genesis 12 that God called Abram and his family to leave the country they were in and go do something somewhere else. The people of Egypt, the people of Exodus, excuse me, that were captive in Egypt for 400 years. God pulled those people out through Moses. We know the story of the Exodus. He goes in and talks to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh lets the people go. They leave that country where they were. They go to another place, the promised land that the Lord had shown them. And then in Exodus 22, 21, we read this. We have it on the screen. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Right? This idea that they're from another place. They've migrated. They've immigrated. They've gone from one country to another. Second Chronicles chapter 17. Then Solomon counted all the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. These are people that are from somewhere else. After the census of them that David his father had taken, and there were found 153,600. You may remember the story of Jesus after he's born and Herod is killing all the little baby boys. He and his family go to where? You remember? To Egypt. They flee. They go for their protection. These are just a few verses, and I'm not, I'm not going to read all of them. But the, the, the Bible is, is filled with examples of people that have left their country and gone to another country. And so at least we get this biblical principle, this idea through Scripture that God at times calls people to go from one place to another. Right? We can't deny that that's the case. We see it all through Scripture. So the, the question becomes, okay, so if God calls these people to go from one country to another, should we just allow people to come in? Should there be rules to stop that? Should there be regulation? What does the Bible say about just allowing anybody in? Because there are people that would argue, and it kind of depends on what side you fall on, but there are people that would argue that in this particular debate of immigration, there should be no, no borders at all. No borders at all. There, there shouldn't be any legal place for people to have to cross. We should open all borders. Shouldn't be any kind of border between countries. And, and the argument they make, and it's an interesting argument, they make the argument for states here in America. If somebody said to you, listen, you can't go to Alabama. I just had a lot of thought. Why would you want to go to Alabama? I'm just kidding. Alabama's a great place. <laughs> you can't go to Florida or Alabama or Mississippi to, to shop, right? We would be in an uproar. We want to go shop. We want to go to Florida. We want to go to the beach, right? There are boundaries, and yet we're able to cross those. And this is the argument people, I'm making the argument that they make. So they would argue the same thing should be done with countries. Right? We don't need borders. People should be able to go where they want to go. So is there any sort of biblical precedent? And if God calls people to move, and we see the idea of immigration, at least uh, using our current language in Scripture, are there any sorts of biblical principles about borders or, or, or rules when people cross borders? Well, let me give you some more examples. Again, we're just kind of building a case here. Acts chapter 17, we have it on the screen, verse 26. And he made them from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, now this is important, allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. 
So, so God establishes boundaries. God establishes borders. Exodus chapter 23, verse 31, the Lord speaking to the people of Israel. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand. You shall drive them out before you. If you go to Joshua 15 and 16 and 17, God sets the boundaries for the children of Israel. So, so there's all sorts of examples in Scripture of God setting boundaries, right? So, so two kind of big biblical principles. God sometimes calls people or allows people to leave their country, go to another. We've seen that scripturally. God also sets boundaries for those places, right? There's a sense in scripture that God sets boundaries for certain nationalities, certain places. So, so the question becomes, what do we do about that? What's the government's role? What should the government do when it comes to boundaries? If people are leaving one area, crossing a boundary, what's the government's responsibility biblically? One of the things we see in Scripture that the Bible is called to do is protect, maintain peace. So, for example, here's a few more verses. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. There's a sense that the government has been established, to maintain peace, to maintain control, to be the authority. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Exodus chapter 12, verse 48. Again, we're just building a case here. If a stranger shall sojourn with you, And would keep the Passover to the Lord. Let all the males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Mark chapter 12 verse 17. Jesus said to them. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. The the Bible's clear here. The Bible is clear. God has established boundaries. God has established law. God has established government. When people cross and move and go between, God has clearly given the government the authority to regulate, to control, to keep the peace, to maintain the things within the government that ought to be maintained. Right? And we, we, we see that all through the history of our country especially. Like Thomas Jefferson hit on this idea in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created, equal endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Right? He understands, listen, it's the government's job to provide for you life, to provide for you freedom, to give you the opportunity to do the things that you want to do. And so we could say we, we have the right and, and the, the, the life of I mean the right of life and of liberty and of happiness that should be protected by the government. So, so one of the, the things we ought to understand, one, one of the truths we ought to pull that first point back up as we think about justice and we think about fair laws, we, we would have to say that allowing countless numbers of people into our country without ensuring protection and peace is negligent. That's not what the government's supposed to do. The government has to provide some sort of boundaries, some sort of rules. That's a biblical precedent. So some people would say, well, listen, that's not a fair precedent. The government should allow people in, and and we shouldn't control that. Uh, We don't like what the government's doing. We're not quite sure why the government thinks they can do this. So we think we should not follow what the government says. There are people that would say that. So we ask ourselves, biblically, is it fair for us to say, listen, we need to disobey the government in this particular incident? 
Is it fair? Is that a biblical principle for us to follow? I would say to you, the only time we should not obey the governing authorities is when the governing authorities ask us to do something that's contrary to the Bible. For example, if the government ruled tomorrow that it's illegal to tell other people about Christ, I would personally disobey that. You'd have to make a decision for yourself. If the government ruled tomorrow that we can't gather together and assemble and, and pray and, and worship and study God's word, I would think most of us would rebel against that. So the government is able and willing and should set aside policies to control our borders, to control what we're doing. It's biblical. It makes sense to us following the word of God. Now, that's the easy part. I threw out that whole thing. Y'all thinking, yeah, that's right. Amen. Amen, that's right, let's control the borders. Now, that's the easy part. Let's get to the difficult part. Look at the verse again, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you to do justice, right? There should be laws, there should be rules, there should be some control. We can make a pretty strong biblical case that that's one of the responsibilities of our government. But the next part is to love kindness. Some Bibles say mercy. Here's the second truth. We must show kindness and mercy to people in need. It is about justice, yes, but it's also about mercy. And here's the struggle for believers. Where's the balance? Like, Where's the balance between justice and, and keeping peace and keeping people out and maybe building a wall and between loving people and showing mercy and showing kindness? Because one of the, one of the main tenets in Scripture, the idea of Christianity is built on this idea of showing love and compassion and mercy and helping people, especially people that are in great need. And if I had a scale, and this is not the way you do it, okay, but I'm just giving you an, an example here. If I had a scale, and on one side I put all the verses that talk about the government controlling the borders and maintaining peace, and in the other side I put all the verses that talk about Christians loving people in difficult situations, the scale would be tipped greatly this way. Like, like one of the foundations upon our, that we build our faith upon is this idea of loving people that are in need. That's what Christ did. And so we see all sorts of examples of showing need. Oftentimes, I'm going to show you some verses, oftentimes the people that are not from here, that are not like us, that don't look like us, that don't think like us. Like it's easy to love somebody that's just like us, isn't it? It's just real easy. It's real difficult to love somebody that's not like us. It's even harder to love somebody who doesn't always do what we think they ought to do. So, for example, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to, what's the word? Strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I mean, it's easy to show hospitality to neighbors and people we know and people we love. It's awfully difficult sometimes to show hospitality to strangers. Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a, what's the word? Stranger, and you welcomed me. Not easy sometimes to love people that are not like us. Not easy to show kindness and mercy and love towards people that we don't necessarily know. Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. You guys will be familiar with this story. People are questioning Jesus and asking him how they should live and what their life should look like. And he said in verse 29, but he, this is another man, desiring to justify himself. Right? He's looking for an out here. 
He's looking for an excuse not to have to love somebody not like him. He said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And then we know that the priest goes by, doesn't do anything. The Levite goes by, doesn't do anything. Then we pick up in verse 33. But a Samaritan, by the way, who would have been hated by these people at that time. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and and wine. And he set him in his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii, that's money, gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided, excuse me, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Another verse, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33. When a, there's the word again, stranger sojourns with you in your land. Right? We could just take that little section and plop it right down in 2018 because that's what's happening now. When that happens, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Here's the thing we see scripturally. We are called to reach people for Christ. We're called to reach people for Christ. And we can't sit behind walls and convince ourselves that we don't have any responsibility to the people that are on the outside. We just can't. That's not a biblical position to take. It may be your personal position. It may be your preference, but it's not a biblical position to take. Now, here's what we do. We, we see these people that are struggling, and we see this group especially coming up from Honduras. If you follow this like I have the last week and seen the videos and watched some of the interviews, and it's very easy if we're not careful to get angry because we see within this people that are probably taking advantage of the system. That's probably true. People that are coming for the wrong reasons, probably so. And we see this group and we get angry and we kind of get mad at this idea of immigration kind of as a whole. And it's very easy for us to get frustrated and mad. But I'm going to kind of speak for myself here. If my family lived under the conditions that many of those people lived under, I'd probably do the same thing they're doing. You can be mad at me about that if you want to, but I bet you do the same thing. When you begin to understand that the struggles that they go through, you begin to understand why they're motivated to do what they do. See, the, the problem we have as Americans, and I'm going to... I'm going to kind of speak to a bunch of Americans this morning, okay? problem we have as Americans is we've never really experienced abject poverty like this. We've never experienced violence on this level. We live in a country, by and large, that's peaceful, by and large, that allows us to, to buy the things we want to buy. And it's very easy for us to kind of barricade ourselves behind walls and kind of ignore the fact that there are people out there that are dying, there are people that are hungry, there are people that are out there that are, that are in great need, and ignoring those people is not a Christian principle. Right, so we've got to either let more people in and help them when they get here or go to where they are and help them now. But hiding behind a wall and refusing to help is not a Christian principle. Now that may not fit your personal preferences or or even your politics, but I would just encourage you to kind of understand what Scripture teaches. 
Because time and time again, we see we are called to help people in need. You remember the, the sermon I did several weeks ago on, on race and racism? And we looked ahead to the book of Revelation and what it's going to one day be like. And it's all tribes and all tongues and, and all languages and all nationalities. Right? That includes people that are coming up here to our country illegally. Did you know that? That includes people from Central America. It includes refugees. It includes people that don't have the same sort of opportunities that we have. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, not a few. Not the ones that just act like we want them to act or do the things that we want them to do. I, th- I think the irony, and I think this is a, a pretty, pretty interesting irony here, is that God has called us in Matthew 28 and so many other places to go to the nations. The United States, uh, the church in the U.S., by, and I'm speaking of the church as a whole, not Rosemont, but the church at large in the U.S. and really in the Western world has failed to go to the nations, so God has brought the nations to us. I think that's an interesting twist there. Now, here's what a lot of people say, Adam, I hear what you're saying, I get it, but man, I work really hard for what I have, I've struggled a lot of years, I've saved, I get up early to go to work, I put in a full day's work, I work really hard for my stuff, I'm not happy about somebody coming and taking that stuff from me and taking jobs from me, I get that, I'm not naive to that truth. But, but the thing that we miss oftentimes as, 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 as Americans is we've never lived in a world where even though you work really, really hard and get up at four in the morning and walk two miles to get on a bus and do manual labor for 12 hours and get home after dark and do it all again the next day for six days a week and get paid $3 a day, we've never lived in that world. I saw a stat the other day that I think half the world's population now, half, live on less than $5 a day. Like I go, I go to Starbucks and I get the, real, the, the manliest drink they make, the white chocolate mocha, because it's real manly and strong tasting. That costs me $5.03. Like I blow in a cup of coffee what a man in, in half the world makes in a day. And I think, could I, could I really feed my family on $5 a day? Nope. Can I really make a life? Nope. And it has nothing to do with hard work, right? We kind of get in this mindset. If we're not careful, we, we fall into this trap of thinking, well, they're just, they're not smart enough or, or they don't really work hard enough. That's just not true. Like, go with me to Guatemala into these villages and, and, and work beside some of these men. <laughs> they work three or four times harder than I do, and I try to work pretty hard when I go down there. Like, I have conversations with people here in the States, and, and especially with people in Guatemala. I speak to the people in Guatemala because I know them. I've, I've been there. When people from Guatemala come here, usually Americans' response is, man, those guys work hard. Those are hardworking people. It's got nothing to do with work ethic. It's got nothing to do with intelligence. It's got 95% to do with where they were born. Like, if I had been born there and you'd been born there, my family would be living in a bamboo hut with a dirt floor and a tin roof. That is the truth of the world. And yet, if we're not careful, man, it's very easy for us to say, well, we work, we work too hard for our stuff, right? We want to kind of keep it, and we want to kind of hoard it, and we just kind of want to do what we want to do. Now, I'm not preaching against nice stuff and, and making money. I'm not preaching against that. But I am saying God commands us to open our eyes to the truth sometimes. And instead of falling in this idea of justice and law, which is part of it, I'm not negating that, we need to open our eyes to the truth of the idea of loving and, and finding mercy And offering hope, it's very easy for us, if we're not careful as Americans, to take one side and not the other. I just want to open your eyes and encourage you just a little bit this morning to absolutely think about justice. Nobody's saying we we can't have justice. There's biblical precedent for that. 
But there's a lot more biblical precedent for love and mercy and grace in people's lives. And I think we miss that oftentimes. So we've seen justice, we've seen kindness or mercy, and then the third thing, and this maybe kind of ties these two together, truth number three, we must live with humility. That verse is do justice, love kindness, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. We, we need to live with humility in all areas of our life, but I think especially in this context of immigration that we're thinking about this morning. So there are kind of two, there are kind of two ideas here. The first one is we ought to be walking with God, right? Like you walk humbly with God. There's, there's the sense that we should be growing in our walk. We should be growing in our faith. You know, as Christians, we need to try to understand God's word and apply that to our lives, even if it doesn't match what we think our lives ought to be. Even if it causes us to think differently about social issues. But we ought to be walking with God. And the second thing we ought to do is we ought to live with humility. In other words, we ought to have the heart of the Lord. Lord, I'm going to be humble to you. I'm going to trust you, Father. I'm going to ask you to guide me. I'm going to ask you to live through me. I'm going to ask you to give me the ability to love people even when I can't love them myself. Lord, I need humility in order to do this. I'm going to love justice. I'm going to love mercy. But I'm going to do it as I walk humbly with you. Now, I think as believers, there's a lot of different ways we can see this. And there's a lot of different categories we can fall into. And we've all got different opinions. But I would think... As believers, we of all people should understand this idea of being a foreigner, being an alien, because this is not our home. Like we're here temporarily, you understand that? We're not going to live here forever. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I understand this is a challenging idea, but Christ calls us to love he calls us to care. He calls us to show mercy and to be just. May he grant us wisdom and understanding as we seek to trust him in all things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word again. Thank you that even in, in difficult circumstances and, and difficult situations, it, it speaks to us, Lord. It gives us biblical principles by which we can live and, and operate and make decisions. Lord, just open our eyes. Open our eyes to your truth, Father, not our personal truth and our personal preferences. Lord, just allow us to hear from your word and really to be challenged in your word, how we think and how we live, Father. Allow us to be Christ-like in all we do, certainly to, to, to have laws and control and, and to maintain peace, but, Father, also to have mercy and to demonstrate love and compassion as we walk humbly with you. Father, allow us, through the power of your spirit, to live like that. We'll praise your name for everything that you do. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.